1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So often as we read through these scriptures, we find that God gives us contrasts and comparisons intended for our guidance that we might follow along the path of righteousness that He desires for us to follow. And most often with very good consequences coming from our believing and doing right things, but also difficult and painful consequences coming from our doing things that are wrong. And that might seem just a bit too simple for our ordinary minds to process because God is understood to be far more high and lofty in His plans and in His ways. And therefore, we figure that His instructions must have more complicated meanings than they appear to have. And yes, God really is high and lofty and His ways are beyond our comprehension. But with that being said, the reality is God also knows your and my frame. And He knows that we really do need for things to be said and demonstrated to us in very simple ways. Else we won't be able to understand. And so here in these particular words of this text, God is being very straightforward and very simplistic so that you and I won't misunderstand and needlessly suffer. A question that I often ask is, but why does God condescend to your and my level in such a way? And that has the simple answer that I remind us of often. It's because both these people that these scriptures that we're dealing with here today are written to, and also you and me, we are His beloved children. We need always to understand that. We are His beloved children. We are true sons of God. And He wants His beloved children. He wants you and me to easily understand these things and be guided by them. Let me read this passage again for us. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind. Have unity with one another. Sympathy towards one another. Brotherly love towards one another. A tender heart towards one another. A humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, note first 
that this passage is filled with instructions about the doing of things. We should or should not do certain things. That's the import of these words. But notice also first that our beloved teacher, the Holy Spirit, begins by giving us instructions about how we are to be, how we must be before he instructs us on what we should do. My thoughts harken back to the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord Jesus as he taught there about the Beatitudes. Those words tell us that we have a need to be in Christ before we can ever hope to do Christ-like things. And that's so here also with these words. Here we're being told first to be, to have godly character before we attempt to do godly things. In Sunday school, we spoke about how we really need to be in these scriptures every day, reading them over and over again. And also asking the Lord to take our thoughts one step deeper than just the surface reading of these scriptures. We need to know Him, to truly know Him, so that we can have His character voiced here as being unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, a humble mind. This is very clear and plain. Very clear and plain. Before we can step on forward and live out these attributes in our daily lives, then we must first have them as part of our character. We can no more do these things in the way that God wants us to do them than we would be able to do any other complicated thing without first having it as part of who we are. You and I can't fly a plane, a jet plane perhaps, or perform some sort of surgery, or with the exception of one in the room, perhaps work a complicated algorithm. We wouldn't try. We wouldn't know how unless it was part of who we were. And that's so with those beatitudes that Jesus spoke about And the same is true here. You and I need to understand that we must first have this person of Christ residing within us before we can do Christ-like things. How does that take place? We talked about it last week. There's only one way for you and me to have holy and righteous character. And it is from the experience of the righteousness of Christ coming to live within us, filling us and taking up residence within our soul, being a part of who we are. And the scriptures use this word, He imputes His righteousness to us. There's only one way for us to have His righteousness. And we, again, we discussed it last week. It's 1 Corinthians 1.30, where we read that it is of God that Christ Jesus is in us In you, in me, wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. And as the spirit and the personality of Christ takes up residence within our spirit, and as we yield our will over to Him, then His personality starts to rise to the surface within our soul, bringing with Him all sorts of godly traits, among them being these that we're reading about here today. 
unity and sympathy and brotherly love and tender hearts and a humble mind. How often have you heard it said about, and especially it's said about men, thankful wives will say, oh, he has changed so much. He has changed so much since he came to know the Lord. And that really can take place. But may I say again and again to us that for that to take place, you and I have to be willing to do our part. And what is our part? It begins with this word that I keep saying to us over and over again. It is surrender. Surrender. For us to do truly righteous things that God intends for us to do, we really must be first surrendered to His presence within us. Else though we be fully saved, though we be assured of eternal life in heaven, we will still fall woefully short of all these efforts. Does grace simply take place at salvation where it washes us clean? It does that, yes. But then there's the day afterwards. It is an ongoing process of where you and I have to surrender our hearts and our minds. Though we be saved, yes. Without knowing it, we begin to act just about like we used to before we were saved. And we fall woefully short of these efforts of unity and sympathy and brotherly love and tender hearts and humble minds. And others can see that too. Yes, they can see the good changes take place in us, but they can also know when we're just simply imitating. In 2 Timothy 3.5, God warns us that we can have a form of godliness, but denying its power. You and I can have a form of godliness, but lack its power. And how many dear saints do you know that walk around powerlessly? Unfortunately, there are too many. But thanks be to God, as believers, you and I have only to take that one next step of full surrender. And then all these things will begin to become ever so real in all that we think and say and do. You and I are God's sons and daughters if we have Christ as our Savior. And it says, there's a verse that tells us that He rejoices over us with gladness when he sees his beloved children doing righteous things, when he knows that our hearts are surrendered to him. Now a question before we move on. If these attributes that we're talking about here, such as unity and sympathy and brotherly love and tender hearts and humble mind, if they come only through the righteousness of Christ, why is it that we're able to observe similar attributes and responses within the personalities and the behaviors of unbelievers? Because I know of a lot of unbelievers that really do act and behave a lot better than I do. A lot better than a lot of believers. Why is that possible? How is that possible? It's because within the great love that God has for all men, believers and unbelievers alike, He has made a provision that we've talked about on other occasions. It's called common grace. He has His special grace where He'll reach into our lives and He'll do things with His own hands. But then there is this common grace that He spreads throughout 
all of the people of the earth. Grace that provides benefits and blessings for all men and women regardless of whether they believe in Him or not. Common grace. A simple example of common grace that God gives to us in these scriptures is that of the, of the provision of rain. He tells us that rain falls on all men and women, righteous and unrighteous, on the just and the unjust, benefiting all of them, regardless of whether or not they believe in Him. So may I say that it is the same to varying degrees with such graces as these that we're talking about here. Unity and sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart. Those are all forms of common grace. And they're available to all men and women. But listen, only with the varying and limited success that they will have depending upon the people involved and the circumstances involved. And on what God might want to be accomplishing even in their lives. I can only think about how much more successful their efforts would be if they would only add Christ into that equation. They can be nice people, but oh, how much better it would be for them and everyone around them, their families and all, if they would simply add Christ into the equation. Now as I think about these attributes that we're talking about here, I have a sad confession that even as a believer... And having the Holy Spirit deep within my soul and really desiring to be fully surrendered, I still often find myself having only measured amounts of some of these attributes. I thought through them and I thought sympathy. Sympathy for the sufferings of others. And especially in today's climate as it regards reports that I might hear on the broadcast news, reports about bombings and shootings and on and on of that type. I have become so desensitized from hearing those reports day after day that I'm often callous to the sufferings of those involved. I'll simply hear that there was a bomb went off in Baghdad killing 50 people. I almost say, oh yeah, and then go to the next thing. It should not be that way but I've become so desensitized from hearing it over and over again that I'm callous to the sufferings of all those families. I wish it were not that way, but it is. Now, but with that being said, I can't do a lot about what takes place in Baghdad or in California. But I do know that as it has to do with those that are close within my relationships, I do really have a great deal more sympathy and brotherly love and tender heart. And I credit that, by the way, to the presence of the Holy Spirit within me. As I draw up close to some of those that I know personally and that they are suffering, then these godly attributes of sympathy and brotherly love and tender heart, they manifest themselves within my own heart and within the things that I do. So often, we'll show these different attributes, but they won't be that real within us. Is that a right thing to do? It certainly is better than not showing any care at all. But the Lord wants it to be real within your and my life. So I thought through this, this last one, humility. 
A humble heart is probably the most difficult of all of these godly character traits for any person to try to mimic or imitate. Because pride within each of us is so demanding. Self is so needy and so persistent in its requirements of us that we have very little heart left for anyone else. So for that reason, true humility is almost impossible to have without the strength of Christ in us to enable it to take place. Now for these next verses, I've entitled this message, Consequences. Because consequences are the results that are sure to take place depending upon whether or not we have or do these godly things. Consequences that God has built into His laws. God has consequences built into His laws. And just as assuredly as the rain falls down and does not fall up, consequences will take place. I'm reminded of the words of Galatians 6 that warn, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. These are strong words for you and me. Strong warning that says to us that you and I need to be careful about the seeds that we sow in normal conversation or in our behavior. And as in circumstances as we work out within relationships especially, these characteristics of humility, sympathy, brotherly love, and tender heart. You and I need to be careful because that which we sow absolutely will come back to haunt us if we do it wrong. That's God's law. You can't expect anything else. May I add in there though that there are times that those might not come back to haunt us. When would that be? It would be when we realize how wrong we've been and we repented. Repentance has this big eraser to it. And God will often allow that which we have done wrong to be erased because we have come back and repented. But also on the good side of this warning here that we've received is the promise that such things as love, love really does beget love. If I love my wife, she will love me back. If I love you, you will love me back. Love begets love. If we show tenderness towards people, tenderness will be returned. Tenderness begets tenderness. Unity begets unity and humility begets humility. And you and I can have and enjoy really good and righteous and happy relationships if we will only join with Christ and have and do these godly things. And that's what he says to us here in in his word. But may I say that I would be remiss if I did not go ahead and do as the Lord is doing here in these next words. And that is to also warn us that there will be times, there will be circumstances in which we will be tempted and distracted and off on other worldly diversions. The world, the flesh, and the devil 
are clever and they are always at work in their efforts to derail God's plan for us. And here in these next words, there are contrasts and there are comparisons and there are consequences. And God warns us. Listen. Verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary. So you have the contrast. Bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Here first is the warning. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. How simple that is. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not return evil for evil. Do not revile when you have been reviled. How simple that is. But how difficult it is to do that in real time when it's taking place. As I thought about this, looking back at myself, I, can, I cannot recall very many times in my life that I did this right. As the Apostle Paul lamented there all through Romans chapter 7, when I've been confronted with wrong behavior, though I really have wanted to do right things, to say right things, I almost always did and said wrong things. I wanted to do it right, but I did it wrong. When evil has attacked me, whenever I've been reviled, my first response seems always to have been an eye for an eye. I can quickly get aggressive. I've always believed that the best defense is an offense. And yes, thankfully, after a few moments of allowing God's Spirit to get control of me, then more godly responses start to prevail. But oh, how I have wished that His godliness would have been my first response. The devil is so clever in all of these things. And he's always around you and me and he's always provoking you and me. We really do feel good when we have returned to evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We feel good. A good comeback. One that tops the one that someone has thrown at us. It makes us feel really good. And when we have put someone in their place, we almost strut as we walk away from them. But then comes this contrast, the second part of this verse. If we were not believers, by the way, we would probably not ever get to this next part of this verse, which is so sobering. But we as believers, this is where you and I quickly get brought back to God's reality. He says at the first part of verse 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But then listen. On the contrary, the contrast, Bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. The thing that we most want to do, to tell somebody off when they have reviled us, we must not do. But instead, we must do the thing that God's Spirit is whispering into our soul. And that is, Bill, do not return evil for evil, but bless that person. Bless that person that's reviling you. For to this you were called, Bill, and you can add your name to that. For to this you were called that you may receive a blessing. How many times have we heard this sort of consequence from God? He's saying if, like there in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you want to be forgiven, you're going to need to forgive first. Or I'm not going to forgive you. Or as we studied here in the past few weeks, husbands, if we want our prayers to be answered, we had better be considerate of our wives and treat them with respect. So that our prayers will not be hindered. 
God's being very clear and plain with all of these words. He tells us, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. God has made it easy for you and me to understand these words. And He has given us a choice. Many times, the circumstances that are in front of us make it difficult for us. And so it's going to require discipline on our part. But though it be difficult at the moment, we must. You and I must turn away from evil and do good. One last thought and then I'll close. I mentioned it a moment ago, but I want to say it again. Yes, God is present everywhere all of the time. But here He's speaking of a much more intimate presence. He is with us in each one of these circumstances. His intimate presence, His manifest presence, is intimately involved in everything that's taking place at every moment in each of these circumstances. And here He's lovingly reminding us that yes, there will always be consequences for our behaviors. There will be good consequences when we do well, but also there will be difficult and painful consequences when we behave sinfully. And so we have a choice. And that's what I want to leave with you. You and I have a choice. Do we want Him to turn His face against us or do we want to receive His blessing? We have a choice. Choice comes to just one. And that is to surrender if we want to receive His blessings. As for me, I do want to surrender. I really do want to. And I want you to surrender. So what about you? What about you? Listen to these words, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Praise be to God. Let's pray.